when I was uh, in college, like early years of college, 19 or 20 or something like that, I had a, had a bad breakup, experienced a bad relationship breakup as 19 year olds are apt to do. And uh, I was the losing party in that breakup. You know, he got all the friends and I got all the solitude. I was really painful. And uh, also as 19 year olds are apt to do, I just decided to buy some uh, you know, commemorative jewelry. <laughs> I went to a store and I found this um, bead, I guess a silver bead that had a bear paw on it and um, it was you know said to be a symbol for uh, independence and standing on your own two feet making your way so I bought it and I, I put it on and I never took it off oops Sarah ended up back in the waiting room I never took it off and I told myself you know, that when it, if it, if, and when it fell off, I would get a tattoo and then that, that reminder would be with me all the time to, to be independent and to stand on my own two feet and to figure out you know, my way. And I did. And that's the story of the bear paw on the back of my neck that I don't think about that often because I can't see it. <laughs> but I know anybody who sat behind me <laughs> at a meditation retreat has probably seen it. But, um, you know, thank goodness 19-year-olds don't get to create the philosophies that, you know, for us 45-year-olds then have to live by, do they? <laughs> I've had a few couple decades to rethink my, uh, my way of looking at the world and especially you know, living through this pandemic where we're all very much separated from each other. Uh, and I'm not so sure that I, uh, you know, I think maybe now if I, if I did it all over again, I might get a little, a whole little, um, you know, batch of bear paws <laughs> on the back of maybe a whole family or a, you know, what do you, what's a group of bears, a coven or a, or a flock, a flock of bears, uh, you know, as a reminder that um, while being independent and standing on our own two feet and uh, making our way in the world is, uh, is incredibly important. We can't do it alone, can we? It's really hard <laughs> to do it alone.
and that phrase that my friend taught me uh, if it's if it's easy we do it now if it's hard we do it together uh, she learned that from a, a pre, you know one of those really really special preschool teachers <laughs> miss virginia says uh, if it's if it's easy we do it now and if it's hard we do it together and that's gotten me through um, homeschooling in a pandemic and uh, you know living in a living in a house with other human beings in a pandemic and overcoming difficulties this last year. And I try to say it, you know, to myself and to my kids and <laughs> to anybody who'll listen. Uh, and then really, you know, really live that as well. And we sort of, in the West and especially in, in the U.S., we're conditioned along these lines of uh, rugged independence, you know, rugged independence. Uh, but that seems fake. <laughs> now that I've given it <laughs> further thought, uh, I'm pretty sure that rugged independence <laughs> is not a thing. <laughs> because we wake up dependent uh, on everything around us, don't we? We, we wake up dependent on uh, the, the bed that we sleep in and the house that we live in and the uh, roads that were built for us and the libraries that have our books and the people who bring us uh, coffee and the farmers that, um, farm our food. We're surrounded by, by people and by their karma and by uh, their actions and by their intentions, whether we are thinking about it, whether we're integrating it, you know, emotionally or not. Uh, Ajahn Amaro wrote a book about this lineage, this tradition called Rugged Interdependency. And that I know, what is that? What about that phrase just lifts my heart? Uh, rugged Interdependency. Yeah, to me, that's a much more uh, beautiful way of saying, if it's hard, we do it together. And I was thinking this morning about the pieces of the path as well. That you now acknowledging that this path also is a path, the teachings are teachings of rugged interdependency. The, the pieces of the path 
can exist very, um, they don't have the power on their own, do they, that they all have together. You know, I, I know that over the last 20 years or so, there's been a strong um, movement in, uh, in, in therapy circles and in schools and in workplaces uh, to utilize some of the techniques and benefits of this practice like uh, breath meditation and meta meditation and um, you know mindfulness uh, but it's it's difficult for me to to relate because my training you know is um, very much Buddhist I learned all of these uh, techniques and tools and practices in the context of the Buddhist teachings. So in my mind, they've always been very integrated. And, you know, I would, I would suggest that they should be integrated. You know, the Buddha taught, um, Bhavana, the cultivation of this practice, the cultivation of our meditation, the cultivation of the Noble Eightfold Path, the cultivation of the Four Noble Truths, the cultivation of uh, Sila, Samadhi, and Panya, the cultivation of uh, morality, uh, concentration, and wisdom. And you know, he, he didn't. He didn't teach these things in a vacuum. He didn't teach them apart from each other. Uh, they're all uh, held within that framework of the Noble Eightfold Path. And so, you know, we can recognize that it's more difficult to um, settle the mind, to become concentrated, to um, integrate the heart when we're not engaged in beautiful behavior, uh, that it can be more difficult to engage in beautiful behavior when we're not also settling the mind and letting things sift through when we're not meditating, when we're not creating that space, uh, that it can be difficult to uh, cultivate wisdom and notice those uh, really important insights that arise if we haven't created a, a quiet and good space for them to arise uh, within. It's like, um, you know, I'm sure this is an overused analogy, but it's, you know, it's like baking a cake right? The cake is, when it's done, Stephanie, right? The cake is beautiful and <laughs> delicious and everybody wants a piece. <laughs> uh, but if we were just to sit down and have a, a nice cup and a half of flour, <laughs> it, you know, or, or just three raw eggs, <laughs> you know, three raw eggs are, they're an, a really important part of the cake. 
but if we just sat down and ate them on their own, they wouldn't uh, be nearly as delicious and, you know, possibly will kill you. So, <laughs> and so it's, I think that, you know, in this group, in this community, uh, we're lucky to have contact with these teachings um, to come in contact with this, with this um, cultivation of meditation and mindfulness within. Um, oh, my internet connection is unstable. I hope that you can hear me and see me, but okay. <laughs> One thumbs up. That's good. Uh, you know, we're, I think we're very lucky to have come in contact with these practices in the context of the Buddhist teachings. In my mind, they're just uh, not separate. And, you know, I'm not particularly good at, uh, I wish I was, I would, I think I would be a better, a better teacher, uh, but I'm not particularly good at separating them uh, uh, when I'm talking about them either. Uh, you know, I've, taught mindfulness and meditation and in uh, secular situations like in schools and um, in groups at the through the YWCA and it's it's not actually easy for me to talk about uh, the benefits of meditation and the techniques around mindfulness and meditation without referring to the Buddhist teachings it's just very much all of a piece um, in my mind. But as we know, these are universal principles in a way, aren't they? They don't actually need to be, um, they don't, you know, they don't actually need to be uh, tied up to what the Buddha said. In fact, the Buddha said, you know, he discovered these principles and discovered their, their power and their effect. Um, things like letting go of, of craving and clinging and um, things like, you know, directing compassion toward that which is experiencing suffering. And um, things like um, taking uh, a a place of non-harming in a situation or taking a place of uh, uh, taking a perspective of non, non ill will, uh, just really universal. When we, when we feel love, when we give love, when we offer love, we feel love and we might feel loved as well. Can look um, at the results in our own bodies and our own hearts to see practices working. But I, I wouldn't, uh, you know, recommend divorcing uh, this practice from a community. I wouldn't recommend divorcing this practice from its. Uh, context of Sila and Donna. I believe 
um, that all of the pieces add up to a very powerful uh, whole. Even I, I think I mentioned this recently, but even I remember long poor Passanos. I always have to say, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, as, you know, memory is fallible, but you know, I remember him saying something like, um, well, I don't know if I'd have the motivation to do this on my own. <laughs> and that's why the monastery was important to him. That's why community was important to him. Now, I know, you know, for sure, I would not have the motivation to do this on my own. You know, cultivating this practice is difficult and bumpy uh, and beautiful. Uh, but we need people to bump up against, don't we? <laughs> uh, to really um, buff off those sharp edges. We really do. I saw a meme the other day that said something like, um, okay, I'm done with people who are a lesson in my life. <laughs> you know, they say you can, <laughs> it can learn from a good example, but you can also learn from a bad example. <laughs> I do think, you know, there are times when we're just, we're over it. You know, <laughs> no more bad examples, please. <laughs> Yeah, I'm ready for I'm ready for a community that's on the same path that I'm on, and that's why I keep coming back and coming back uh, to PFOD and to its members and uh, to its teachers and to its roots in the monastic uh, yeah, world. It's because our good examples of rugged inter interdependency are uh, quite we really need those examples of how to how to be in, in, to, in uh, the practice and the teachings and and the world around us <clears throat> I know that soon enough you know we will have the opportunity to sit together again and uh, be in the be in the building again and things will be changing in our lives in really big ways and uh, to be honest you know I don't love a transition I, <laughs> even <laughs> I'm a, I think I'm a little uh, neurodivergent in that way like even if it's good I don't want to do it because <laughs> it's a lot of effort <laughs> to change <laughs> to make a change uh, so to be honest, I'm a little worried about, you know, everything going back to normal and, you know, meeting again and doing things uh, differently and in person and, um, you know, and changing my home life and changing my wife maybe and uh, changing our school life. Um, but, you know, I can't, uh, I can't say that I'm not looking forward to uh, hearing your voices in person and seeing your faces and 
I mean, I've almost forgotten what all of your socks look like, and that is really weird. <laughs> Tell me you don't know your meditation friends by their socks. You're lying. <laughs> so I think, you know, if I, if I stick with my rugged uh, interdependency, we'll probably get through it. <laughs> You'll be helping whether you, whether you know it or not. And, uh, and I really, I do, I do look forward to that day when we can, we can be together again in a room with each other. <laughs>